as the Lord shall so lead you, the offering boxes are back in the back, and you can take advantage of those as the Lord would lead you. Let me make one more um, announcement. I, I, I want to ask you to pray, and to pray for me. There are um, things that, I mean, if you look around, we're, we're full. We're at really at pretty much at capacity. A church is never going to grow beyond 80% of what they have in seating. And this is not about numbers. This is about growing. Living things grow, and therefore we need to grow, and the opportunity to do that is not going to happen in the way in which we're doing things now. So there are times when, listen, I, I'm going to be totally honest with you, there, I know that God is able, but this is one of those areas that, man, I struggle. God, help me with my unbelief. And I want to ask you to extend your belief, your trust, your faith into this area where sometimes I struggle. We need a bigger building. We, we need a place where we can all worship together. First service, honestly, there may have been more people in first service than there are here in second service today. So we are, we are really at capacity for what we can do. And there's only, you know, two options. Either God provide a bigger building, a bigger place, a place where we can grow, or we add a third service. And... Uh, you know, again, both of them have their <laughs> uh, ups and downs, but we're going to do whatever God lays on our heart, whatever God leads us to. We're going to do whatever. I don't care if we have to do 12 services on Sunday. We'll do whatever it takes. You know what? We're willing to, we have to be willing to die for the gospel. So if it happens on a Sunday. <laughs> so I'm asking you to pray that God would help me to believe, to trust, and to see what God wants to do. Amen? Amen? So will you, will you just agree with me in prayer? Will you extend your faith into this place where, honestly, I know God does this. I know God does it for other churches. I've heard, I've read, I've seen the miracles. I just struggle with, but how can you do it here, God? You look around, there is no place but God. So, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that, God, your will would be done, that, God, your kingdom would come, that, Lord, you would provide and you would do what only you can. That can't be of a man. It can't be about a man. It can only be, Lord, a work of your miracle-working power to supply and meet the needs that we have. And I pray, Lord God, that you would do just that. That, God, in my place of, uh, of unbelief, that, God, the faithful would extend their faith to believe in those areas and that, God, we could see the breakthrough that faith would bring to supply and meet the needs that we have as a body in growing and continuing to grow. God, we want to we be alive as you are alive. And we thank you for that today, Lord. I pray your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen, we are going to continue today, I, I believe, we'll see, but uh, I believe this is going to be the last sermon as the, in the topic that we've been going through in a biblical, having a biblical worldview. There are a lot of worldviews out there, and I understand that. A lot of people have different worldviews. We are talking about today what we as the church should be standing on or should be declaring, and that is a biblical worldview. We are those who trust and believe in the Word of God, and therefore the Word of God should be what we put our trust in. Again, I did not say a Christian worldview because a lot of Christian worldviews have adopted all sorts of doctrines and theologies and worldviews that are cultural, but they're not biblical. And so I've been talking about that for the past four weeks, about you know, just all of that. And, and, I, and again, I've been sharing with you some difficult things, but what you do with what I share with you is up to you. My words have absolutely no ability to do anything as far as bringing change or transformation to your life. It's just like Charlie, listen, if you're not wanting to hear by the Spirit, you're just sitting there listening to Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. 
So, listen, I'm going to share with you something today, and I don't want to share it in a condemning way. I want to share this in a way that's encouraging, a way that's teaching those who want to walk in those ways, those who want to do as God's called us to do, that those are the decisions that you would make. I, I pray that, you know what, today would be a day where, man, God just brought some light to something in my life, in my heart. But what you and the Holy Spirit do with what we talk about is between you and the Holy Spirit. So that gives me then, you know, the opportunity to speak. And I'm going to share with you a bunch of scripture today. You can can say, you know what, I just don't believe what Pastor Mark's saying. That's fine. But can you and will you say that about the Word of God? So we're going to press into this place of worldview because this is important. How we, how we as followers of Jesus Christ, how we as the born again, how we as the redeemed view the world is extremely important. Our view of the world affects so much of what we do and how what we say and, and how we live our lives. Because listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, if you have been forgiven of your sins, if you have been redeemed from the darkness and brought into the light, if you have been saved from, from a, a death and, and being hellbound to a place where you now are heaven bound, Bible says that you have become a new creation. Praise God, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore... I love therefores. Therefore, if anyone, come on, say that, anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look, I, I just simply ask, are you a new creation? When God came into your life, did he deliver you from the old way and bring you into the new? Are you made new? If not, glory to God that you're here today and this is the day that the Lord has made. You can rejoice and be glad because he's extending an opportunity for that to be your time. Praise God. But are you a new creation? And it's important that we are. Because Ephesians chapter 2, he describes where we were. He said and, and, in Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following, and he talks about this world, the course of this world, following the prince of the air, or the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we need to be delivered. We need to be made new because each and every one of us, we are born into this world and we are a part of this sinful world. We are born into this world as sinners, meaning that we are born a part of this world's evil system. And Jesus, he very clearly, he tells us that we have been chosen out of this world. In John 15 and verse 19, he said, but I chose you. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Thank you very much. There's the good news, huh? Well, at least for some, you may know why there's so much conflict. Hopefully that helps. Because I want to look at this today. I don't want to take a look at this from this perspective of our worldview. Where in the scripture, it says that while we are in this world... We are not of this world. We are in this world, but not of this world. And I want to take a look at this in in the prayer that Jesus prayed. I mean, Jesus says that whatsoever we pray, if if it be according to the will of God, that it shall be done. Well, when Jesus prays, we know that he's praying the will of God. Therefore, what Jesus prays shall be done. Amen? So he prays this prayer, this prayer in John chapter 17. And in John 17, he prays this prayer. Jesus, he is the great high priest, amen? Amen. And Jesus, the great high priest, prays what is called the high priestly prayer. 
And so we see that in John chapter 17. And he's praying this prayer. He's praying to the Father. And he, and he goes to this place where he starts to pray for his disciples, those who are following him. And then he begins to pray for those who would follow in the footsteps of the apostles, of the disciples, of those who would come after. In all essence, he was in this prayer praying for us. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed for you, for me for us. And I think it's important that we look at this and see what is he saying in all of this? Because Jesus, if he's praying it, it's his will. Amen? So we're going to look at John chapter 17 and look at this prayer that Jesus prayed, this prayer where Jesus said that though we are in this world, we are not of this world. So Turn in your Bibles or turn to the church app has all of these notes that are there for you. You can fill in the blanks. John chapter 17. Go there. We're going to look at verses 13 through 21. And while you're turning there, let me ask you this question. I, I, I feel like this is so important for us to really contemplate. Where is your home? What's your first thought when I say that? What kind, of, what kind of mindset do you have towards that question? Church, in our, in our lives as Christians, how should we be different than in the way we think than the way in which the world thinks? Especially when it comes to big things, the important things. How, how is it that we're different from the world? All this is really important. Let me ask you this, and don't shout out answers. I'm just telling you right up front so that you don't be embarrassed. What bothers you the most? What bothers you the most? A soul lost in hell or a scratch on your new car? What bothers you the most? You missing a worship service or missing a day of work? What bothers you the most, a sermon that's 10 minutes too long or you being 20 minutes late to lunch? What bothers you the most, a church that's not growing or your investment's not growing? What bothers you the most, your Bible unread or your text messages unread? Church work being neglected or housework being neglected? Missing a good Bible study or missing your favorite game on the TV? What bothers you the most? The millions who don't know Jesus Christ or your inability to keep up with your neighbors? What bothers you the most? The cry of hungry people or your desire for another piece of cheesecake? What bothers you the most? Missing communion with your church family or missing happy hour with your buddies? What bothers you the most? Your tithes decreasing or your income decreasing? What bothers you the most? Being late for church or being late for work? I mean, be honest. What defines your attitude an outlook towards the world. Something does. Something, something, there is something that is defining those things in you, those attitudes and outlooks that we have. And, and part of that can be answered by this. Where is your home? Or which world do you belong to? The fact is, is that, we, that we're not and therefore, honestly, I should say, we shouldn't be like the rest of the world. We've been called, because we've been called out of the world. He says we've been called out with the cares and the concerns and all the things in this world. We've been called out of that, and our focus now should be on something different. As born-again believers, our focus should be on Jesus Christ and His will being done in our lives. Or we should be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, where all these other things will then be added unto us, rather than seeking first all these other things and hoping Jesus will give us His approval. 
He's called us to set our sights on him, to seek Jesus as the born again. This is what we should be doing. So I think it's important. And, And again, you can put yourself wherever you want in all of this. I just think it's important that we should understand what does it look like, according to the scriptures, for a person to be in this world, but not of this world. And we're going to look at Jesus' prayer, and I hope and pray that this comes out in a way that we can understand what it looks like. Okay, that's what it looks like for a person to be in this world, but not of this world. And how you align yourself in that is up to you. Okay, I have, I have one responsibility here, and that is to preach and to proclaim the truth of the Word of God. Not whether you take it, receive it, and believe it or not. So, we're going to look at John chapter 17, and I'm going to start this in verse 13. You can read the whole prayer later, um, but we're just going to press into this so that we can get done before you're 20 minutes too late for lunch. All right, starting in verse 13. Jesus is praying this prayer. But now I am coming to you. He's speaking to the Father. Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. So Jesus is coming to the, he's going to come to the Father, and he's speaking the word of God. He's speaking this word into the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, Jesus, he's been, you know, talking with his disciples and going through a lot of stuff. And in chapter 16 of John, he, he says, hey, guys, listen, in this world, here's a good one. You're going to love this. In this world, you will have trouble. What? Mind blown. Absolutely. Wait a minute, I thought when I came to Christ, all my troubles would just vanish and everything would be good and nothing would go wrong. That I wouldn't have to struggle with anything. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, hey, in this world you will have trouble. But by his word, we can find his joy. Now listen, it's not our joy, it's his joy. It says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, again, his word, that my joy may be in you. Jesus, his desire is that his joy would be in you so that we don't have to conjure up our joy. He wants to pour his joy. Why? That your joy may be full. Now let me just say this. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus has a greater capacity for joy than I do. Therefore, when Jesus' joy becomes my joy, I can't contain all of his joy, and it's going to overflow in me, and it's going to get on some of you. It's his joy. We are to have his joy. It's his joy that Jesus has given to us. His joy is our joy. Now, again, that's an awesome thing that we can walk through this world knowing that his joy is our joy. Even when Jesus realized this, that Jesus faced the cross with joy. In Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him, Jesus had joy. As he went to the cross, how could he do that? Jesus could do that because he had his eyes set beyond the cross. Jesus had his eyes set on another kingdom, on a place in which he was going. He had his eyes and everything set on another world. Listen, church, do you have your eyes set on another world or are your eyes firmly set in this world only? You see, Jesus had joy because he saw what was to come, what, this, what, what paradise had, what it was that he knew of in heaven. He saw beyond all of this. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, and I have given them your word. Praise God, he has given us his word. And so Jesus said, I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So that's a kind of an uncomfortable statement. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Church, the world's gonna hate you because of the word that's in you. And this is what makes Christians different. This is what should make a born-again believer different. We have the word of God. We don't just have a mental assent of the word of God. We have a living relationship with the living word of God because this word is alive just as Jesus Christ is alive. And he's given it to you and I that it would bring life in us. And this word that's alive, it's revelatory. It comes into our life and it brings life in us. And he's given us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is God in us, God, the living God in us. We have the living word of God. We have the living Holy Spirit in us. Let me tell you, when you come and encounter the living word of God and the living Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to be changed. It's called transformation. There will be a transforming power that begins to work in us. That will this, it will make us different from the world. How can you come into an, a, 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 an intimate encounter with the Word of God, the will of God, the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus the Christ, alive in us, forgiving us of our sins and changing our eternal destiny? How can you come into an encounter with the God who created the universe, who put the stars in place, who knows the order of, the, of everything? How can we come into an encounter with Him, personal encounter with Him, and not be changed? Amen. We are different from the world. And because of that, the world hates us. That's what Jesus said. And the things of this world are not of God. They're not. The world, listen, the world hates what's not their own. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. This is, this is a tough statement. But Jesus makes, or John makes it. Jesus, the word, through John, says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of of the eyes, the pride of life, probably some of your versions say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. But most of us live our lives in this world trying to get the world to like us. I just want to be liked. And he's saying it's not going to happen. Why? Because Jesus says that when you come to him, you become light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He comes and calls you to be light in this dark world. Well, what does the light do? When you turn on a light in a room, it exposes everything in the room. When you turn on a really bright light, it exposes everything that's hidden in the corners of the room. When you put a light underneath a bed, it shows you all of the dust bunnies that love to live under there. The light exposes what was hidden in the dark, and that's what light does. It exposes what is hidden. And let me tell you, the evil in this world does not want to be uncovered. It wants to stay in the dark. It wants to stay in a hidden place. John 3.20, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And we're told, that we're not of this world. Meaning, we're not of the darkness. He says, they are not of the world. He says, even as I am not of this world. Even as Jesus was not of this world. That's why Peter called us sojourners. That's why he called us pilgrims. Because church, we are not of this world. The born again are not of this world. This world is not our home. This world is just a place that we are in. Because when we are in Christ, the Bible says that we must be in Christ. And when we are in Christ, listen, Jesus, he says, I am not of this world. So we're not of this world. Yes, here we are in this world. 
You're, we're sitting here, we are in this world. And we're in this world in a place where the world hates us. When you start to live a, a, a really a born-again life, you're going to find that people are going to hate that because you're going to expose the evil in their lives. You're going to expose the places where they want to just slip into the darkness and don't want things to be exposed, don't want things to be known. They don't even want to know them. And so when you do those things and, and you begin to expose through the Word of God the light into a darkened place or into a person who's consumed in the darkness, you're going to find that they're going to get really mad and upset about that because they don't want that darkness to be exposed look most people good people well I don't want to take a look at that can't we just get a longer bed skirt so nobody can see under there John 15 18 and 19 says if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you and, and listen if you were of the world, the world would love you. How do you get the world to love you? You compromise and become like them. The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, that's not so cheery. Listen to what Jesus then says in verses 15 and 16. He prays this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. What? You just told us that we're going to have to have joy because this world, we're going to abide by your word and it's going to bring light and people are going to hate us because of it. And now Jesus is saying, and I don't ask that you take them out of this world. How many of you at different times in your life have cried out, please take me out of this world? <laughs> and he said, I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus doesn't take us out of this world because Jesus has a purpose for us. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He wants to use you as an instrument of his glory. They're you to be a reflection of who he is in the world in which he's left you. Look, what would happen if God removed everybody? If God removed everybody that had gotten saved, everybody that was born again, if God just poop, took you right on out, who would fulfill the will of God? Who would fulfill the plan of God? Who would be representatives of the kingdom of God? Who would share the gospel in the ways in which God God intended for us to share it. He leaves us here, and he wants us to be here, and he wants us to be in this world, but that he prays that, but that you would keep them from the evil one. So God's plan was never to remove the disciples from every dangerous situation, from every opposition, from every group that hated them and didn't like them. He didn't want, no, he's saying, Father, I want you to please walk with them through it. Listen, God will, God, in answer to Jesus' prayer, God will see you through every difficult situation and every difficult time. He will see you through every opposition. He will stand with you and he will preserve you and he will protect you. It's, he will preserve you from the evil one. But as Christians, we still have to live here, right? I mean, we are not of this world just as Jesus was not of this world. But there was a time in history when people that, that came to Christ, they thought that what they needed to do was to completely separate themselves from everything that had anything to do with the world. Many people would go off to monasteries or go off and live in caves. Those are man-made ideas. They're not God-made. God says, I, I don't want you to take them out of the world. He doesn't intend us for that. He prayed that we would not be taken out of the world, but that we would be protected in this world from the evil one. And did Jesus not teach us to pray that way? Lord, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He told us to pray. We're not of this world, church, just as Jesus is not of this world. 
Paul said that in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, he says that we've been citizens of a new kingdom. We're now citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when we come to Christ, our citizenship changes. We are no longer American. We're no longer any other nationality, no longer Mexican, no longer Spanish. We, we are no longer, we are heaven bound. We are citizens of heaven when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. Our citizenship completely changes. But I think this is the problem amongst many Christians today, is that for many Christians, we've become way too comfortable, way too at home in this world. Way too, way too blended in. I think today there are way too many who put themselves in the position of wanting to be an undercover Christian. Ah, let me just blend in, Lord. I'll use it. And he's saying, no, that's not the way you do it. You don't, listen, you, you, don't, you don't win people by compromising with them. We'll never win the world by trying to look like the world. And I think there's too many people that are just too comfortable in that. When we should be living and we should be acting, we should be looking like citizens of heaven. So I said, where is your home? Verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified. What does that mean, to be sanctified? Well, sanctify in the Greek is the same root word as the word as make holy. So he's saying sanctify or make holy. That's what sanctify means. And to be holy means to be set apart for God's special purpose. So in this lifetime, we are called, he says, sanctify them, Lord, in your truth. Set them apart for your purpose, Lord God. If someone is set apart for God and God's purposes alone, that person, they're doing the things that God wants. They're talking and speaking the way God has called them to. They're saying the things that God is leading them. They're declaring the word of God. They're loving the things that God loves. They hate the things that God hates. We look at that person, we go, that person is holy. They sure are acting and living a holy life. And the truth is, is that that's what God has commanded us to do. He, he didn't suggest it. This is God's command. If we want to walk in the, in the freedom of God and all that God has, the command of God in the Old Testament, he told Moses in Leviticus 19, he said, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then in the, that's the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 1, he says, but as he who called you is holy, listen, you also be holy in all your conduct. Yes, Lord. Church, that is a responsibility. Yes, that is something that God calls you and I to do. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So how do we become holy? How do we become sanctified? He tells us in the truth, the truth of God, the truth of God's word, the truth that is from God. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word. The word is God. God and Jesus are the word. We've been given this word, and this word has been given for you and for me. He, didn't Jesus say, I am the way? I am the truth? He didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me so where do we find the truth that is jesus your word is truth we have it right here it's in our hands but it's got to get from here to here and sometimes it gets this big old roadblock right here wants the living word to come and to live and dwell in us because this word it doesn't just contain the truth this word is truth. Jesus is not a truth. He is the truth. So God's word is truth. So any word that we get from the world that does not come from the rooted place of God's word is not truth. If he is the truth, then the truth is what will come forth. And it doesn't matter who says it, but if it's not rooted and grounded in the word of God, if it's not something that comes from God, it, it can't be truth. It might be fact, but that does not make it truth. I'll, I'll use this example. One of the hot button topics that we have in the church and in churches and in places all over, the Supreme Court, 
few years back, the Supreme Court made a decision to define marriage as being between any two people, including same sex. So male and male, female and female, male and female, any combination, everything, whatever it is, that's it. Now listen, that may be the law of the land and church, that may be a fact, but that does not make it truth. God's word, the truth, says that marriage is between one man and one woman. And no court and no congressional mandate and no proclamation and no executive order from the president will change the truth of God's word, the truth that is God. So it may be a fact, but it is not truth. We are to be sanctified by the truth that is the word of God. But church, how many of us are spending our time filling up on the word of the world rather than the word of God? And then how can we ever expect to carry out the will of God if we're full of the world? We're supposed to be in this world, not of this world. And in this world, God prayed, Jesus prayed that we would be protected from the evil one. From what? The evil one getting in us and polluting us. Jesus prayed we'd be protected from the evil one. How? By the word of truth. The word of truth. We read the truth. We receive the truth. We hear the truth. We receive it by faith. And then we obey it. And when that begins to happen in our lives, we start this process of we will be transformed. That's what makes us holy. And why is that also important? Because in verse 18, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we are to be sanctified, we are to be made holy, we are to be set apart for God's special purpose because Jesus is sending us. Listen, Jesus didn't just save you. He saved you and sent you. There's a purpose that he has for you. You know that word send in the Greek? The word send in the Greek is the word apostello, which is where we get the word apostle. So Jesus is not just sending us. He is sending us with a purpose. He's sending us on a mission. He is sending us as ambassadors to the world. He is sending us as citizens of heaven into this darkened world to be protected by the evil one and to go where we go sharing the light, sharing what our God has said and done. We are to live in this world. He has called you and I to live in this world, to live in this darkness, to live here, but we are not of this world, meaning we do not submit to the laws of this to the laws of this world. We submit to the laws of the land. We do not submit to the law that is great, that they try to make greater than the law of God. We put God first in everything. Why? Because we aren't of this world. We are of another kingdom. We have citizenship in heaven, and heaven is our home, and we look beyond this world. And in this world, we walk in this world, but we walk in this world with the covering and protection of the king from the kingdom that sent us. His umbrella of coverage is just like that of an ambassador that goes to another country. When an ambassador goes to another country, they walk in that country and they walk amongst the people and they walk amongst the rules of the land. But that ambassador has the full authority, backing, protection, and provision of the United States of America. And in this world, we have the full backing, protection, provision, and power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords keeping cover over us. He sent us after the resurrection. That was the, the gospel of John giving us this great commission. And then Jesus, after being uh, resurrected, Jesus said to the disciples, he said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Church, Jesus is our example, and Jesus is our missionary example. As a Christian, if you're born again, you are a missionary. You are called to be a missionary right here, right now. That's why you're still here. That's why he didn't transport you right out of here when you got born again. He says, we are not of this world, but it's not time to be taken out yet. So we get to chance and opportunity to do what he's calling us to do. Verse 19, Jesus said, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they, may, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus says that he's consecrated. 
himself. How does he do that? Why, how Jesus, that same word sanctified, how, how did Jesus sanctify himself when Jesus is already holy? And this means, and this is important for us to understand, this means that Jesus had fully prepared himself, fully dedicated himself for the purpose that God had laid out for him. And he knew what was coming. He knew that he was headed towards the cross and he knew that the purpose of God in Jesus' life was to be the sacrificial lamb of God that would die for the sins of the world. That he would bear the penalty for our sins upon his body and he would come and he would go to the cross to bear those sins and to do for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. Why would he do that? He says, again, this is important. He said, it's for their sake. He did it for you and for me. He came to bring grace for you and me. He did what we couldn't so that we could do what we couldn't. He came to bring salvation to you and I, and he came by grace. If you've not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today as the Lord tugs on your heart, just say yes to him. Say yes, Lord. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. Amen. Oh, I know, there's a, it can't be that easy. But I, I, let me say this, easy for who? Wasn't easy for Jesus. He bore the full weight, the full penalty, the full agony, the full depth of your sins and mine. Why? So that it would be easy for you to come to restored relationship with the Father. So easy for who? Praise God, it's easy for us because of Jesus Christ bore the difficult, impossible part for us. It was for our sake, it was for your sake that he went to the cross. It was for your sake that he sanctified himself. Why? And then he says that they may be sanctified in truth. That we might be sanctified. We are sanctified by the truth of Jesus. By the word of God. And he goes on and he says, Jesus isn't just praying this for his disciples. He's praying for us, for all those who would follow in his footsteps. This is Jesus, who's not bound by time, praying here, just like now, for you. And he says this, and this is an important phrase. I'm going to ask you to take this, these two verses here and, and go home and read them and meditate on them, speak them out loud, look into what God is really saying, because this is such a deep and important statement that he prays. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as, listen, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What an important scripture. You realize that Jesus has sent us on a mission, that we are missionaries, we are on a mission of bringing light, and in light of the mission that we have, Jesus prays that we might be one. What does it look like to be in this world but not of this world? Jesus is saying that there needs to be unity among the believers. There needs to be a unity that, that happens in this place, and it's critical. He, he, there needs to be this kind of unity because he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look, I don't know how he does this. I just trust in the word, and I know that what he is saying is true. The world will see Jesus because of the unity that we have in Christ. But when there's bickering and, and fighting and all sorts of gossips and rumor mongers and backbiting and selfishness where there's pride and there's hatred, unforgiveness, sexual sin all among the believers. Let me tell you, no one sees God in that. Amen. They don't. And Jesus is saying, no one will see that God sent his son who in turn sent us. Well, how does that unity look? Again, this is where we have to get our mind and our heart wrapped around this. The unity that we have amongst each other, he says, should look just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That means that 
the unity that we have should have a divine look to it, should have a holiness about it, should have the nature of God about it. That it should be something that's beyond this world. It's the same unity that Jesus had with the Father. That's what he's telling us. Well, what kind of unity did Jesus have with the Father? Well, Jesus was in the Father, and the Father was in Jesus, he said. The two, they may have been two, but they were an undividable one. Look, it's just like in, in my marriage. In my marriage, if Joni and I are really walking together in our marriage as one, if the two have come together as one flesh, you should not, in our marriage, you should not know where Joni ends and Mark begins. And you should not know in our relationship where Mark ends and Joni begins because we have become so interlocked and so intertwined that our lives have become so as one that you shouldn't be able to tell where the dividing line of Joni and I are. When you see Joni, you should see me. When you see me, you should see Joni because yes, we are individuals, but we've come together as one flesh. And that's what God is wanting, longing for, and calling you and I to in all of this. The same kind of unity where, yes, we are too, but God, Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, they were an undividable, undivisible one. And this is what God is calling you and I to in this kind of unity. And Jesus describes this in John chapter 15. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever, wherever there's this life flow where you can't even tell where one starts and one begins. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, here lies the key to be in Christ. To be in Christ. We must be one in him. We, we must, and again, we, let me just say, we're the weaker, we are the weaker party in this union. We, we come to you, Lord, and submit to you because you know the way. You have the power. You have the strength. You have the wisdom. You have the knowledge. You have everything. And I have nothing, yet you have chosen to come together and allow me to abide in you and for you to abide in me. Church, we, are, we can have harmony without having holiness. I mean, on the surface, the waters can look clear. The waters can look calm. But unless we're in Christ, each and every one of us, we can do nothing. That's what he says. You can like it or not like it. That's what he says. And, and, and we're not just to be in a union with each other, but we're to be in this kind of a holy, divine union with Jesus, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like as Christians to be in this world, but not of this world. And, and what you do with this information, what you do with the Word of God is up to you. But I can tell you this, that no matter where you're at and no matter what it is that's going through your mind, I can tell you that God has a better way for you and God has a process in place where he wants to lead you into the place of, of divine fruit in your life. He knows what he created you to do. You don't. Worship team, would you come back up? Let me say, as Christians, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And if we're going to live in this world and not be of this world, we're going to be in the light, not in the darkness. So in that kind of a relationship, we should not look like everyone else. We should not blend in when everyone else is blending in. We should not look for approval like the rest of the world looks for approval. We should not do what everyone else does. We should not dress like everyone else dresses. We should not go where everyone else goes. We should not talk like everyone else talks. We should not raise our kids the way everyone else raises our kids. We should not treat our neighbors the way everyone else treats their neighbors. 
We should not spend our money, view our money the way everyone else does. We should not have the same values. We should not have the same priorities. Because we are citizens, church, we are citizens of another kingdom. Listen, Jesus called us to be in the world, but not like the world. Being different, you need to know that the world will hate you. And that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means that he's going to protect you in the midst of it. That's why we need each other. That's why he's called us to stand together in unity. That's why we need to be the, the, the body of Christ so that we start functioning like the body of Christ. Not like, you know, we've got some missing limbs and parts that God wants to be working with. All of us together, we need each other. We're called to walk together as one, the body of Christ, that we might come together as the bride of Christ. Church, we are to be in this world, but not of this world. And my, my closing question, I'll close it. Are you in the world or is the world in you? Please, no condemnation in that statement. I love you and I care about you. And I love you and I care enough about you to take the chance of offending you with a question like that. We need to look at it because he says that when we abide in him, there's fruit. What does fruit look like? What's God calling you to? Through the message, through the word, through what's been spoken, what's God speaking to your heart? Again, I, I say this a lot. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me to you. So, in all my failings and all of my frailties and all of my insecurities and all of my anxieties and all of my things that, that, that want to attack my flesh, God can use this imperfect vessel to bring a perfect message to you. God can take my words and between here and your ears, He can transform those words into what it is that you need to hear. And I believe that each and every one that's opened up their ears to hear will hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. Because God brought you here for a reason. You think you came. You didn't come because you wanted to come. You came because God ordained it. You're here because He brought you. So what's He saying to you this morning? What will you do with it? Will you bow your heads in with me in prayer? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for your saving grace to minister in the hearts of those that are in need. I pray, God, that you would bring salvation to those who are bound up in darkness. That, God, you would speak to the spirit of those, Lord, that are crying out, calling out, that are sick and tired of the sin that they cannot overcome in, them, in their own flesh, but that, God, are looking for another way, a new way. God, I pray that today you would show them that you are the way and there is no other. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He went to the cross and bore your punishment so that you would not have to. But he commands, he tells us that, you, but you must call upon the name of the Lord. You must receive that forgiveness by repentance and ask the Lord that he would come into your life, open your heart. He did the hard work. Now we do the receiving. But you can walk out of this place and reject what God is saying to you. You can walk out of this place and reject the gift of salvation that God's extended his hand to you for. But he does say this, no man is promised tomorrow. And if the Lord is tugging on your heart, if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart, this is the day to respond. This is the time to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Is he doing that in your heart today? I would love to pray for you. And and if you're here, again, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you need Jesus Christ in your life, will you just raise your hand up so that I can pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I'm going to give you a moment to to join with the, the, the others in this place today. Again, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Lord God, you see each and every hand. You see each and every heart that's represented. And I pray, God, that you would move in their lives. Church, let me ask you to do this with me while your heads are bowed. Let's everybody pray this prayer with me. Listen, salvation is not found in the words. It's found in the heart that declares the words. This prayer is not a prayer that will save you. It's a prayer that you make because God is saving you. So just say this. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I receive you today that today is the day that I am heaven bound and now I'm the citizen of heaven and you are my king. In Jesus' name, fill me with your spirit. Overwhelm me with your love and let me know your life in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we want to help you to be discipled. We want to help you through Bible studies and the helps that we can give you. But you have to be the one that steps out and says, yes. You have to be the one that says, tell somebody. Don't be ashamed of him. You are now in this world, but not of this world. Now, Walk with Him and talk with Him. Have relationship with Him because you're going to come to know a love that you have never known in this world. Come on, amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's stand to our feet and let's finish this out with a song of praise. Oh, Lord, you are good. Oh, yes.
That is our prayer this morning. God, fill me with your love for those around me. A love for the church, a love for those in the church, a love for the body of Christ. Lord, that we might reflect your love and nature out into this world that desperately needs you. Lord, let us not be afraid to be those who will shine the light, who will be a light in the dark place, that we would boldly declare, thus saith the Lord, that we would stand on your word and the power of your word. And with that said, church, church is not over. The church is about to begin. The church is about to enter into the community that God has sent us to. So I'm saying, go be the church. Go be the light. Go be the love. Go be the power. Go be the nature of God. Because today, you and Him are one, just as He and the Father are one. Praise God for that. Amen? God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Don't forget. This Wednesday, come be a part of our prayer time. Bring your whole family out and be a part of that. And next Sunday, meet us down at the Ritz Theater at 11 o'clock. We're going to have a beautiful family service. God bless you. Go be the church. Amen? Amen.